Previously, on Blood on Gold Mountain, Yutho found life in Chinatown scary and confusing. For answers, she turned to Li Yong, the young man employed as chef and housekeeper for her and Hing Sing. From Li Yong, Yutho learned how she was a pawn in a gang war that threatened the very existence of Chinatown. In order to ensure her safety, she must play into the power struggle between rival gangsters Sam Yuan and Yo Hing. At first, Yet Ho was suspicious and hostile, but she soon came to like Li Yong, who impressed her with his easygoing confidence and reassured her with his openness and honesty. Now the two of them have the chance to get to know each other better, but it won't be long before Yet Ho is forced to step into her role as Chinatown's newest public figure. It took a while for Yet Ho to extract the rest of Li Yong's story. He insisted it wasn't shame that kept him from speaking freely, but habit. This is a frontier town, he told her. Most people come here from somewhere else. They don't talk about who they used to be, and they don't ask questions. Everybody has their secrets. If that's the case, then why did you tell me about your mother? Yatho demanded. Leong looked at her. I don't know, he said. By way of encouragement, Yatho told him all about her own past. Leong listened with fascination. He made her describe everything about the village where she grew up, from the mundane details of rice farming to the stories and legends she had learned as a child. I've heard so much about China, he told her. I can see it so clearly, and yet it's always just beyond my reach. With shining eyes, he listened as she described the stark beauty of cranes in flight and told strange tales about dragons who were rivers and a monkey who was a king. Eventually, Leong began to open up. His parents had come from two different villages, both of which were destroyed in the Opium War. They found their way to Gold Mountain, each following their own path and both of them ended up in San Francisco. I think they must have been some of the first Chinese people to come to this land, he told Yutho, but I'm not sure. They didn't like to talk about the bad times. All Leung knew were the facts. His mother had come to Gold Mountain with a Guayla man who she thought she could trust. When they arrived, he sold her to a Chinese thug who pimped her and two other girls out of a tiny lean-to shack. San Francisco's nascent Chinatown was a squalid slum into which an ever-increasing number of immigrants and refugees were packed. One of the new arrivals was Li Yong's father. Unlike the migrant laborers who came to support families back home, Li Yong's father was a young man who had lost everything in the war and was trying to pick up the pieces. He started off as a client, but Leong's mother liked his smile and his quiet strength. In time, that liking blossomed into a secret love, and they began plotting their escape. One day, they pooled their money and bought a bottle of Baijiu, a foul-tasting brew that was stronger than any Guala whiskey. Leong's mother took the bottle home to her shack, where it was promptly requisitioned by her pimp. He proceeded to drink the entire bottle. 
Eventually, he passed out, and Leong's parents fled together under cover of darkness. They didn't stop until they came to a place where the mists of San Francisco seemed as far off and improbable as the turquoise coves and emerald hills of South China. That place was called Los Angeles. By the time the Ziup Company's autumn banquet came around, Yutho was feeling confident. So far, Hingsing had upheld his side of their bargain. He treated her like a guest or a neighbor, smiling vacantly when he saw her and asking whether she was comfortable. At first, Yutho was tense in his presence, but she soon realized that he bore her no ill will. When she asked for extra blankets and seasonal fruits, he had them brought to her right away. Leon was right. Hing Seng wasn't so bad, after all. During the day, while Hing Seng wasn't around, Yatho wrote poems, did exercises, and chatted with Leon. To save time, she would help out with the various tasks around the house, and then the two of them would sit and talk for hours over endless cups of tea. Leong was easygoing and innocent in a way that brought out those same qualities in Yat Ho. After all, he had lived his entire life in Gold Mountain and had never experienced the horrors of famine or war. Both Yat Ho and Leong were orphans. His parents had died young. But in spite of that and the day-to-day struggles of life in Chinatown, Leong's world was stable and fully intact. This wholeness gave Yat Ho comfort and helped her relax. Nothing could erase the trauma and pain of what she had been through during the war, and nothing could bring back what she had lost. But with Leong, Yat Ho finally felt like herself again. The night of the banquet, she chose a fitted silk chongsam of brilliant red. It was traced all over with spidery black embroidery, and in the flickering light of her oil lamp, the pattern blended with layers of shadow to make her look like something out of a legend or a dream. Hing Seng was late. As she waited for him in the dining room, she examined her reflection in the darkened window. I wish Leon could see me like this, she thought. Hing Seng finally arrived along with a couple of large, frowning men whom Yatho did not recognize. She followed them downstairs, through a dark corridor and out into the alley, where a carriage was waiting. One after another, they climbed in. The whole thing felt slightly surreal to Yatho, who had not left her apartment since the day she arrived. It was as though she were a celestial being who had fallen to earth and was venturing out for the first time. So, my uh, little flower, said Hing Seng with a slightly apologetic smile, are you ready to dazzle the best and brightest of Chinatown with your radiant beauty? He seemed to think the whole thing was some kind of joke. Yatho wondered if he had been smoking opium again. As long as I don't have to talk, I'll be fine she said. Hing Seng nodded. That shouldn't be any problem. 
he said. The men will be too polite to speak to you unless you speak to them first. I won't, Yatho told him flatly. Are there going to be any other women there? Hing Seng shook his head. You'll be the only one. Sam Yuan insisted. The ride was over in a couple of minutes, and they climbed down into the darkened street. Yat Ho barely caught a glimpse of an unfamiliar building before being hustled inside. She found herself in a long, low room full of paper lanterns which covered everything in a dull red glow. In lieu of windows, the walls were hung with moth-eaten tapestries that might once have depicted scenes from Chinese mythology or borne optimistic slogans. Now their threads were coming loose, and all they conveyed was a sense of hard-bitten frugality. The room was full of men, sitting around tables and talking quietly. Yat Ho counted about 30 of them as she followed Hing Sing to a long, cloth-covered table, which stood on a low dais set against the rear wall. She was immediately struck by the lack of noise. Back home in Ziyup, a group this size would be laughing, joking, and raising a racket fit to wake the dead. These men seemed half-dead themselves. They sipped their tea and murmured in ghostly voices, glancing across the room from time to time as though they were conscious of being watched or of being hunted. As she took her seat, Yat Ho felt an unexpected sense of disappointment. Was this the banquet she had been preparing for? It felt more like a prisoner's mess or a funeral. She wondered if Yo Hing's company gatherings were more lively. All of a sudden, a hush came over the room. One by one, the men turned their heads towards the door, and Yat Ho felt an unpleasant prickling on the back of her neck. Then a man stepped through the door, and she knew in an instant that this was Sam Yuan. He was much smaller than Yat Ho had imagined. Short and wiry, he looked half the size of Ah Choi or Yo Hing, but he radiated an air of casual menace, like a beast of prey. The flat brim of his guayla hat cast a shadow over his eyes, and the sound of his heavy boots cut through the silence as he stalked across the hardwood floor. Hing Sing pulled out a chair and stood behind it, his head bobbing atop his tall, stooped form. Sam Yuan sat. There was a moment of dead silence. Hing Sing stepped forward and cleared his throat. Um, valued members of the Ziyup Company, it is with great pleasure that I welcome you to our autumn banquet. Now is the time for us to celebrate the successes of our summer season and to begin laying plans for an equally gainful and auspicious winter. But first, please enjoy this sumptuous feast brought to us by our benevolent leader, Sam Yuan. He clapped his hands and waiters appeared, carrying trays of cold-cut pork and fresh pots of tea. The silence 
dissolved into a contented rumble of voices, punctuated by the clatter of chopsticks and serving spoons. Yutho breathed an inward sigh of relief. As far as banquets went, this one left plenty to be desired. There were only four courses, cold cuts, soup, beef, and noodles. Everything was greasy and oversalted, but even so, Yadho ate heartily. There was a magic in this kind of communal meal, and the last time she had experienced it had been back in the village when one of the local boys got married. That felt like a lifetime ago, and she savored the sense of festivity and abundance, even though the food was not nearly as good as the simple fare she ate every day with Li Yong. Yatho smiled at everyone except Sam Yuan, and served Hing Sing from each dish as it came down the table. That won her some appreciative glances from the older men in the hall, and each time Hing Sing served her, there was an audible rumble of approval. I can't believe it, she thought to herself. This is going to work. Hing Sing was in fine form that night. He didn't eat much, but his capacity for alcohol was preternatural. By the third course, he was making the rounds, drinking a toast at each table and then circling back to do it again. He seemed to know everyone by name, inquiring after their health, families, and fortunes in a loud, confident voice. Yatho had never seen him like this. People like Hing Seng, Leon had said. Now she knew why. He was a jolly, affable rogue, and she could almost see herself liking him too. But surely, Dr. Tong, Hing Seng was saying, surely you'll join us in a toast to our prosperity in the season to come. What harm could there be in that? I'll tell you what harm there is, replied the trim middle-aged man to whom he was speaking. It's the harm that comes from placing profit and petty rivalries above the health of our community. Hing Sing hesitated, his glass still raised. He glanced at Sam Yuan. Dr. Tong, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but perhaps we should... I'm talking, said Dr. Tong in a voice that was clearly audible to everyone in the room. About the company's investment in opium. Sam Yuan stood up. Immediately, the room fell silent. Hing Seng looked at his boss, then at Dr. Tong. Then he looked at Yat Ho with a pleading expression, as if there was anything she could do. Dr. Tong, said Sam Yuan. His voice was like two pieces of metal grinding against each other. It was the voice of a demon or a dragon out of a shadow play. The voice of a killer. Dr. Tong stood. He was older than Yatho had thought. Certainly much older than Sam Yuan. His face was calm, but he was sweating, and his forehead glistened beneath his receding hairline. Sam Yuan, he replied in a steady voice. He must be brave, thought Yatho. As an herbalist and a healer, I must object to the company's decision to take part in the sale of opium among the people of Chinatown, said Dr. Tong. 
The poppy is a powerful plant, and it has its uses. However, I know all too well the terrible toll it can take when it is sold for profit and used too freely. We all do. He looked around at his companions for support, but nobody would meet his gaze. Samuel did not move, but his shadow on the wall behind him seemed to grow larger and darker as he tilted back his hat to reveal a face so hard and spare that it could have been cast in bronze. His eyes caught the light of the red lanterns and seemed to glow in their deep, dark sockets. Like a cat, thought Yutho, or a wolf. You, he said to Dr. Tom, are a fool. That may be true, Dr. Tom retorted, but it is true. Samuel stalked around the table and stood on the edge of the dais. There was something in the way he moved which Yatho found unnerving, a kind of fluidity that made it impossible to know what he was thinking or what he might do next. Your moralizing is nothing but the squeal of a soft-hearted weakling who would rather solve the festering wounds of filthy Gwila than defend his community against the greatest threat it has ever seen. Yo, Hing! He roared out his rival's name in a challenge that rattled the spoons in their empty trenchers and made Hing Sing cringe. Dr. Tong shook his head. No, Yo Hing is a rascal and a vagabond, but the greatest threat to our community is the division we have created within it. We only have ourselves to blame. These past few years, the Ziup Company has stopped serving the community like a benevolent association that has started serving itself like a fighting tall. I cannot stand here and watch our company sink so low, so low, that all we do is struggle against Yo Hing for supremacy in the vice trade. Then go. Samyun pointed to the door. Yatho didn't even see him move. One moment, his arm was by his side, and the next moment, it was extended. Perhaps it was a trick of the light. Without another word, Dr. Tong turned and walked out. Samuel lowered his arm and looked around the room. Anyone else? He asked flatly. It had been a night of many silences, but this one was the deepest of them all. Good, said Samuel. Then he turned and walked slowly towards the door. Hing Sing signaled to Yat Ho, and the two of them hurried after Samuel. The company members watched them go, with relief written plainly on their faces. I'm really very tired, said Yat Ho. I think I need to go to bed. They were sitting around the dining table in her apartment. There were five of them. Herself, Hing Sing, Phoenix, Jade, 
and Sam Yuan. Everyone except Yat Ho had been drinking baijiu and playing some sort of guala card game ever since they had arrived from the banquet over an hour ago. Nobody answered her, so Yat Ho got up to leave. She was halfway across the room when Sam Yuan said, Stop. She froze. Icy tendrils of fear caught at her throat and wriggled down her spine. Please, she thought. Her room was so close. Please. I just want to know one thing, Samyuan said. Yat Ho turned and faced him, with her arms stiff by her sides. How much Baijiu had he drunk? It was impossible to tell. His voice was harsh and clear. How is it that you could sit here without saying a word while your husband giggles and gossips and carries on with his two favorite whores? Hing Sing, Jade, and Phoenix had indeed been carrying on some whispered conversation until Samuel spoke. Now they were looking back and forth between him and Yat Ho with a mixture of curiosity and apprehension. Yat Ho spoke carefully. I don't have any problem with Hing Sing talking to his associates. Samuel laughed. Talking? Do you think that's all they do? It's not, said Phoenix, catching on. We do all kinds of other things downstairs when you're not around. Yat Ho gritted her teeth. That's none of my business, she said. Why? asked Samuel. Don't you have any self-respect? Yat Ho was silent. Ah, I see. Samuel sounded disappointed. She has none. Maybe it's for the best. After all, what kind of self-respecting woman would marry Hing Sing? She must have been desperate. Don't you think so, Jade? Jade nodded. Must have been. I've got plenty of girls downstairs who would rather work a few years on their back and save up some money of their own than marry a man who keeps them cooped up in an attic and never gives them a good language interrupted Phoenix. Don't you know she's a sweet little country bumpkin who couldn't tell the difference between a man and a bitter melon? She doesn't even know what we're talking about. That's why Hing Sing never complains about her being such a frigid little bitch. He knows that she'd be about as much fun as a dead... Shut up, Phoenix! Yutho snarled. If I wanted any of that from Hing Sing, I'd take it. Seeing as I don't, though... And seeing as he's too besotted with liquor and opium to be much of a man to anyone, I'd rather have him waste his efforts on you. Sam Yuan made a noise that might have been a laugh, but sounded more like a hiss. Did you hear that, Hing Sing? He asked quietly. Hing Sing was shaking his head and mumbling something. Sam Yuan talked over him. She said you're too much of a drunk to be a man. Is that true? Prove it's not true, Hing Sing. Get up and hit her. Then we'll see how much of a man you really are. Hing Sing shook his head more vigorously, 
but Phoenix grabbed him and dragged him to his feet. That's right, Hing Sing, she cackled. Hit her. Show us how much of a man you are. No, Hing Sing's voice was plaintive. No hitting. I'm... He teetered on the spot, and Phoenix grabbed him again. I'm sure we can find a mutually beneficial arrangement. If you're not man enough to hit her, said Samuel, then I'll have to do it for you. No, squawked Hing Sing. He broke away from Phoenix and stumbled towards Yat Ho, but it was too late. In a flash, Samuel leapt over the table and across the room. Yat Ho didn't have time to react. Just as she was raising her hands to cover her face, a terrible force slammed into her chest. She felt a strange sensation of weightlessness, and then her head collided with the wall, and she crumpled to the floor. She tried to get up, but her lungs didn't seem to be working. Her mouth was full of a salty, metallic taste. She looked up just in time to see Hing Sing hit the ground. His face was turned towards her, livid from the blow that had knocked him unconscious. Phoenix was still cackling, but a glance from Sam Yuan, and she fell silent. He walked over to the table, where his hat was sitting next to some cards and an empty Baijiu bottle. Better clean up this mess, he said quietly. Then he put on his hat and went downstairs. The sound of his heavy boots receded slowly into the dark. The next morning, when Leong arrived, he found Yatho waiting for him in the kitchen. She was wearing a blood-red chongsam with black embroidery, which clung to her body like a flame clings to a burning brand. She handed him a cup of tea, which smelled like wildflowers and moist earth. Then, without waiting for him to finish, she took him by the hand, led him to her room, and shut the door behind them. This was going to be a very unusual day. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, tell us in a review and become one of our community backers at www.bloodongoldmountain.com support. Remember to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and reach out with thoughts and questions on Instagram and Facebook at Blood on Gold Mountain. Episode 7, The Underworld, will be released on Wednesday, June 16th. Blood on Gold Mountain is brought to you by the Holmes Performing Arts Fund of the Claremont Colleges, the Pacific Basin Institute of Pomona College, the Public Events Office at Scripps College, the Scripps College Music Department, the Entrepreneurial Musicianship Department at the New England Conservatory, and our Patreon patrons. It is written and produced by Micah Huang, narrated by Hao Huang, and hosted by Emma Guise. A special thanks to Hao Huang for his piano wizardry, Shayna Krizan for her Instagram skills, Kusuma Tresaputro for the amazing artwork, Sheila Colisaire for her critical PR guidance, Rochelle Huang for her editing prowess, and Ivo Terra from Simpler Media Productions for his immense expertise and support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.